0: Friends, in preparation to hear the word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Awaken us, O God. Awaken us to your spirit that hovers here. Your spirit that hovers in Founders Hall just as she hovered over the waters of creation. And so we pray that you would reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words, that they would be your word to us here and now and that you would breathe new life into the words of my mouth and into the meditations of all of our hearts, that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God. For you, you are our rock and our redeemer. For we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. This is our third Sunday. Sunday in a series entitled, In God We Trust. Two Sundays ago, following the 1030 worship, uh, a church member, Craig Liebendorfer, walked down the center aisle, and he found me, and he said, hey, Matthew, I want to give you something. And I said, oh, what's that? And he said, I want to give you this, and it's a penny. I know it's really hard to see. And I said, "Uh, Craig, thank you so much, but I already have one of those. Um, And I didn't mean I already had a penny. I meant that I had one of those pens that y'all got this morning in the back. I had a, a penny with a a pin on the back of it that we could wear around. And he goes, no, 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 no. I don't think you have one like this. And I said, what do you mean? He said, this, this is a 1917 penny. And I said, no kidding. He said, yeah, I don't think you have one like this. I pulled this one out of my personal stash and I want you to have it. I said, can I see that thing? I said, he said, yes, so I held it in my hand, and I looked, and I've been studying the penny and this statement, and God, we trust, and where it came from, and I put this penny in my hand, and I said, man, this penny's over 100 years old. He goes, I know, and I said, think about when this penny was minted, and everything that was happening in the world. He goes, I know, that's why I wanted you to have it. I said, there it was, and God, we trust, right over Abe's head, he said, right where it's always been. It's uh, right where it's always been for as long as I've known, but anybody know when In God We Trust first was put on U.S. currency? Anyone? Man, I've uh, done a lot of trivia in this series. I thought uh, maybe we would get there. 1864. Some of you are like, wait, 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 I thought it was 1955. We'll catch up with you in a minute. 1864. What was happening uh, in the United States in 1864? 1864. Civil War, that's right. Uh, There was a rumor going on in the southern states, in the Confederacy, that God had endorsed their side. This made folks in the north very unhappy. And so, uh, Secretary to the Treasury, uh, Secretary Salmon, came to... uh, President Lincoln, and said, you know what, the South is claiming that God is on their side, endorsing slavery, even quoting the Bible, like the book of Ephesians. And Secretary Salmon said, you know what, I think this is a moment for us to say, you know what, we believe that God is on our side. I think we should put in God we trust on our currency, 1864, on the two-cent piece, in God we trust makes its first Appearance. If you have an 1864 two cent piece, uh, it is no longer worth two cents. It is now worth four hundred dollars. So uh, maybe you you don't want to give that to me in line. Maybe you do. I'll take it. This is what we know. It is a moment when the North is claiming that God is on their side. Is that a theological statement or is it politicians using the name of God to be on their side? I don't know. Because in 1955, what was happening in 1955 in America? Cold War, thank you very much, Stan, well done. 1955, Cold War is happening in the United States. Dwight Eisenhower receives a joint resolution that In God We Trust should go on all U.S. currency. So it's the first time In God We Trust shows up on dollar bills. Several months after that, there is another bill brought, unanimous, that in God we trust should become the official motto of the United States of America, replacing what? Anyone know? E pluberis unum, out of many, one. I don't know about y'all, but it feels like we could use that motto right about now. So in 1955, uh, the United States motto becomes, In God We Trust. It's on everything. You go to the court of law, there it is. It's right behind the judge's head. In God We Trust. In 1955, was that a theological statement or a political statement? I don't know. Let's think about it. 104 years old, this penny. Long journey. The story it tells about a country, right? Right? who says, in God we trust. 104 years, that's a long time for the United States. But our scripture lesson this morning comes to us in 588 B.C. I'm not great at math, so uh, if I'm off by a couple years, Kevin, I'm just not great at numbers. That's over 2,600 years ago. Why are we turning to a story that is 2,600 years old? Because I think that there is a deep truth That needs to be reclaimed and reframing our lives so we're going to uh, turn to the book of Jeremiah 32nd chapter this morning I'm gonna skip the first five verses but I'll cover it when we get to the context of uh, our um, scripture lesson this morning but I'm gonna go verses 6 through 15 listen now for the word of the Lord to all of us this day so Jeremiah said the word of the Lord came to me Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalom, is going to come to you and say, by my field that is at Anatoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Pay attention to that line. We're going to come back to it. Then my cousin Hanamel came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, "Buy my field that is at Anatoth, in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord, and I bought the field at Anatoth from my cousin, Hanamel, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, Son of Nariah, son of Mahsia, Mah- in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence I charge Baruch, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds Both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed and put them in earthenware, put them in an earthenware jar in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why this text on this Sunday? Why this passage from Jeremiah on Commitment Sunday? Because I believe this passage reveals someone who is holding and seeking to hold on to the presence of God when the whole world around them is falling apart we got to get some context to be able to get to that statement and to that claim. This text is the most outlined business deal in all of Scripture. I actually, called the person who uh, we went to uh, our lender for our house signing, Lacey, I asked them if they would come and read this text this morning. Because this feels like what you do when you are closing on a house. You're closing on a land. You sign, they stamp, you sign, you stamp, and someone's checking all of it. Why do we have this much detail? I'm going to give us a bit of a history lesson, okay? The Israelites were once an enslaved people. They were uh, liberated. We're not going to go all the way back to Abraham and Sarah, but the Israelites were once an enslaved people. They're freed by Moses. Uh, they're led into the promised land. Um, then they beg for a king, and they finally get one, King David. The Israelites ascend and reach new heights uh, under King David's leadership. It's why uh, here in a couple of weeks in Advent, we will read prophecies saying be on the lookout for a new king, he will look like David. David builds um, the people up in the, uh, the city of Jerusalem to new heights. Transfer of power then to Solomon. Solomon builds this incredible temple, right? It is the temple. It's what we know as the first temple. It is incredible. It's the temple that you read about in your children's Bibles. Then there are more wars There's more divisiveness, more family tension than we could ever cover right now. It would confuse us. Suffice to say this, there is so much tension that the kingdom breaks into two. We get the northern and the southern. The northern kingdom is Israel. Southern kingdom is Judah. That's exactly right. Uh, Then, at 20 years old, there is this kid named Jeremiah, who is called by God to be a prophet to the nation. This is what we know for 39 years, this kid, 20 years old, Jeremiah prophesies to the nation. And his prophecy sounds a lot like it is at odds with the culture. Every time things are really good, Jeremiah says, be careful. Drought and famine are coming. And every time things are bad, Jeremiah goes, I think that God is up to something and we should join what God is doing. Uh, Jeremiah annoys the king with this kind of prophecy. And for all of his faithful work, what does the king do with him? Throws him in jail. Jeremiah is in a prison cell. When his prophecy comes true and the Babylonian Empire is invading, they have laid siege, we have talked about this, a military tactic by which uh, the Babylonian military would surround your city, choke off precious uh, resources, nutrients, and when you have fallen to your knees, they will then invade and burn your whole city to the ground. They have begun invading Jerusalem. Jeremiah is in a prison cell. Jerusalem is going to burn to the ground. And not only are they going to burn to the ground on their way out of town, the Babylonian Empire is going to what? They're going to take salt and throw it in what? Fields to ensure that future generations won't even be able to come and harvest crops in those fields. That's how ruthless the Babylonians are. Jeremiah is in a prison cell when the Babylonian Empire has begun their invasion. There is smoke in the air. And our text then says, It is in this moment that the word of the Lord came to me and instructed me to buy my nephew's field. You don't have to be in real estate, my dear friends, to answer this question. If I invited you to buy a piece of property in a war-torn land right this second, as a military was invading, raise your hand if you would think that that was a good thing to do. No? Okay. Why is Jeremiah instructed to buy this field. Remember what I said? This is a story of someone who is holding on to what God is doing when the present moment is falling apart. Why is Hamamel coming um, to Jeremiah to buy this land? It's that line uh, that I told you to pay attention to because we would be coming back to it. Because uh, for the right of redemption, if we go back to Leviticus, right? We were in Leviticus last week. We learned that there are over 630 laws outlined in Leviticus. We can sometimes feel like those laws are meant to oppress us. But if we flip the coin there, we can actually see that these are 630 ways that God promises to be in right relationship with God's people. In the 25th chapter of the book of Leviticus, we get outlined a law, Stephen, that says if you fall on hard times, do not sell your land. Even when you've exhausted all the other uh, means that you have, do not sell your land to anyone outside your family, outside the tribe, because part of your land is the promised land, and you have to keep that promised land in the family because on that land is also the promise that your family is going to keep with God. It is called in the 25th chapter of Leviticus the rite of redemption. So, Hamamel, Right? The Babylonian Empire has laid siege. They have choked off all resources. Hamamel probably has nothing else. His last option is to sell his land. And he is doing what good and faithful Jewish folks do. He goes and he sells his land for the, uh, the right of redemption to Jeremiah, who is in his family. So he comes to Jeremiah, and he goes, he says to Jeremiah, I need you to buy this land. We've got to keep it in the family. And Jeremiah, in a prison cell, when the city is burning to the ground, says, you know what? I'll pay you for it. 17 shekels. Pay attention. Shekels, um, that's a weight. So I don't know. Just call it a pound. He weighs out 17 pounds of silver, and he buys this piece of land. Why would you do such a thing? Jeremiah says, I am doing it because I believe that there is something bigger happening here than even I can see. I believe that God is always up to something bigger, and I'm going to seek to orient and follow where God is, even in the moment when it feels like my present circumstances are absolutely falling apart. Think about Jeremiah, the weight on his shoulders. Can you imagine being put in a situation, my friends, when you said, it, is it all going to fall apart on my watch? There's Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Esther. Is the whole weight of this promise going to fall apart on my watch? watch. Jeremiah is seeking to do the faithful thing and orienting himself to the ways of God. It looks like a business transaction, but what Jeremiah is doing is saying, and God, I trust. And God, I trust. Isn't it interesting? It's not in the kingdom I trust. It's not in the temple I trust. It's in God I trust. Friends, can you imagine the weight? Can you imagine the place, that feeling of, wait, this whole thing could fall apart on our watch? You mean you want me to follow the new thing that God is doing? Uh, You want me to buy a field in the midst of inflation? In the midst of uh, supply chain issues, in the midst of a global health pandemic, is it here to stay, is it not? In the midst of, uh, do we all agree on masks or do we not? In the midst of, we haven't even been together as a community in a really long time, in the midst of a political divide that feels so expansive, you mean, God, you want me to commit to you? Oh, Jeremiah's field becomes a metaphor for us, does it not, my friends? For all the places and times in our lives where it feels like we are being called to do the riskiest thing imaginable. Jeremiah's fields becomes a metaphor in our lives when we feel like all of our present circumstances are falling apart, but we want to orient our way to the path of God. Here's the promise and the unbelievable good news. That law, the right of redemption, has far less to do with us or with the Israelites. In purchasing those fields and keeping them within the family, they aren't the ones who are keeping it redeemed. It is God who first redeemed those fields and who is always in the position to redeem the field and the relationship. This is how I know that. Because Jeremiah buys that field, and what happens? Two generations get sent into Babylon. They, they are sitting in exile. They are, once an ensla- they are once again an enslaved people, and when they come back into Jerusalem, that field... In that deed in an earthenware jar is waiting for them. Jeremiah never saw the return on the investment that he made when he bought the field. Why? Not because of what Jeremiah did, but because the faithfulness and the promise of redemption in God. It's the story of a God whose vision and promise is so much bigger than what we think we can see. It's the story of a God who says, I know it looks like your present circumstances are falling apart. But you know what's not falling apart? My promise and my presence. It's not falling apart, is that there is no place that you can go where I am not. You know what's not falling apart? me. And that good news, oh, you can trust. (laughs) For in God, we trust. It's a theological statement. It's a theological statement. It's an orientation by which we can live our lives. And it's built on the promise of God. Oh, my friends, I know that this can just feel like an ordinary commitment Sunday. Coffee and donuts and tacos and all the things. But this is a day in which we say, yes, God. We want to be part of the new thing you're doing. Even if it feels risky. For it is in you, O God, that we put our trust. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we believe. We believe that even when it feels like the present moment in our lives has fallen apart, we want to be a people who hold on to your promise. So help us, O oh God, uh, open our hands this day, so that we might let go of all that we are holding on to, so that we have room to hold on to you. For we pray in Christ's holy name, amen.